Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of room and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Richard Boykin, independent conservative and author Jason Hill, and in our second hour, Democrat Rebecca Abraham and Republican Doug Ivendahl. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at WCGO in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. we got lots to talk about. It was another jam-packed week of uh, news. And uh, we're going to begin with our guests in hour number one. And they are Richard Boykin, who is a Democrat. He's a former commissioner of the Cook County uh, Board of uh, uh, Board of Commissioners in the city of Chicago. And also Jason Hill joins us. Uh, Jason is an independent conservative. He is from DePaul University. He is a professor of philosophy. And he is author of the book, We Have Overcome, uh, an Immigrant letter to the American people. We'll talk about that as the program unfolds this evening. I want to begin uh, with you, uh, Jason, and and get your reaction and and get your your thought about how the the movement that began uh, with the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police officers, how that has morphed into all of the other uh, protests, uh, some violent around the United States. Is there some way uh, that the the subject will get back to George Floyd, or has it already been hijacked? Well, you know the the death the death of George Floyd was was tragic, and 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 um, the the police officer has been arrested and charged with murder. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that in the beginning there were legitimate peaceful protests against um, the unlawful way in which he was handled. I think, however, what has happened is that a bunch of nihilists and anarchists have taken advantage of this tragic and unfortunate death and have hijacked um, the peaceful protest movements. And we see the remnants of postmodernist philosophy manifesting itself in the streets. When you see vandalist, vandalism taking, running amok in our streets, when you see statues of white abolitionists and black uh, union fighters uh, being torn down with impunity and with the same degree of aplomb and without discrimination as slave traders and slave owners. Mm-hmm. You know that there's nihilism running amok. Uh, Richard, I, this, uh, I want to get I want to get Richard's response uh, to, to the same question, Richard. Uh, uh, it has evolved. I know initially you were very concerned about what happened in Minneapolis, but uh, it's it, th- that seems to be a, a story that's, that appears to be uh, very much in the rearview mirror for a lot of Americans at the moment. Well, Bruce, thank you for having me on. And let me first of all say that uh, what happened to George Floyd is unacceptable and it's happening too often mm-hmm. to too many black men and Latinos all across the country. And so what this is, is it's really, I think, a fight for freedom. I mean, I think that people have been fighting ever since the Emancipation Proclamation, Bruce, for freedom and for equity and for liberty. I think that they're fighting just to be just to be able to live the American dream, quite frankly. But Richard, it was but Richard when, when, crowd, when crowds gather, whether it's in Portland uh, to deface uh, a federal building and create right. havoc and in the streets, or whether it's a group of people that... Uh, 
that decide they're going to tear down the statue of, of Christopher Columbus and tear down a statue of George Washington in other cities and Andrew Jackson, or at least attempts in Washington, D.C. I mean, that isn't necessarily about police brutality and the treatment of black men in America today. Well, I, I think, look, now, I think that people are trying to figure out how do we move these symbolic uh, things like the Confederate flag and others, how do we take those things down and put up positive things in their place? I'm not for uh, symbolism, quite frankly. I'm, I'm more for substance. I'd rather see us make sure that we have uh, black folks on corporate boards and people in boardrooms and vice presidents and presidents of companies. I want to make sure that we don't miss this moment and focus purely on symbolic things and miss the substance. Is a Democrat candidate for vice president who happens to be African-American and a woman at this moment in time, uh, is that uh, is that just symbolism in your mind or is it significant? Well, I think it's significant because there has not been a black vice president in the United States of America. And so, quite frankly, I think that uh, it's more than symbolism and, you know, and that person will serve a major role. Quite frankly, a, a, a President Joe Biden, hopefully soon to be President Joe Biden, uh, he's, an, he's, a, he's up in age. And if something happens to him, that vice president must step into his shoes and become president. That's wanna, why it's major. I, wa- I want to come back to that a little bit later, but I want to go back to, to you, Jason, and, and, and talk about again where the dialogue is now. And, and uh, uh, it seems to me there's a lot of conflating of these issues by the media to some extent or to a large extent, and also by, uh, uh, by Democrats and those that, uh, that dislike the, the, the president. I mean, the, it's getting confusing. Uh, the dialogue about what? The, the confusion that's, that's out there when, when, when people initially were upset about what happened in Minneapolis, but now you've got, you know, you've got the situation in, uh, in, in Portland. You've got the situation Portland, yes. tearing down statues. Right, well, I mean, how do we get back to the, the, the core issue here? Well, I respect Richard's point, but I think, you know, I, I fail to see how this is a cry for freedom when blacks and, and white protesters are burning down black-owned businesses as well and burning down the, the businesses of white people who employ black people. Um, so this is why I think that this, this is a form of nihilism and that has run amok. I think that Black Lives Matter, uh, the movement itself, I mean, the lives of black people matter, but I think Black Lives Matter movement, uh, who and I've written extensively about this, this movement, is really, truly a, a, a problematic phenomenon because it has at its heart of its charter the destruction of U.S. banks, the advancement of socialism. It's a culturally Marxist movement. It is profoundly anti-American and it is fueling a lot of the rage. What it lacks is what these riots and these protesters lack is the equivalent of a Martin Luther King. Someone with a strong moral voice that can focus morally and consistently on what the real issue is. What we have in the street. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go back to. I want to make make this as much of a conversation as possible. So I want to go back to you, uh, Richard, and and have you offer your assessment of uh, of Jason's assessment of the Black Lives Movement as being a, a Marxist uh, uh, movement. Well, I would say this that uh, I think the gentleman has it wrong. I think 
Uh, the riots that we've seen in American cities really are a cry for freedom. They're, they're, they're the cry of those who've been neglected. Uh, they're the cry of those whose communities have been disinvested in. I mean, when you look at Chicago and you look all over Detroit and other places, there's been major disinvestment in these uh, cities and especially in the black community. But Richard, if you're judging this movement by what you see on television, and I think a lot of people do judge it because that's where they're getting a lot of their news, what they're seeing and what I'm seeing is you've got a bunch of white kids out there. You've got a bunch of white kids, primarily anarchists, that are in Portland. You've got those that that were uh, protesting outside Mayor Lightfoot's house the other day. The vast majority Mm -hmm. of them were white. I want to get your reaction to that and also back to Jason Hill as well when we continue on Beyond the Beltway. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, When the president said last week that he was going to send in some federal agents to Chicago and and Albuquerque uh, in the wake of the violence that was taking place in those cities, which are not necessarily related to to any of the uh, demonstrations and and violence, but it was the violence of of those people that are killed every weekend uh, in Chicago and also in Albuquerque. Um, there was initial response by the media and obviously some of those on the left that thought this was a horrible idea. It was a police state. Everyone thought that it was going to be a repeat of what uh, has, has happened in uh, Portland where people have uh, described uh, the the, agent, the federal agents uh, in a, like Gestapo and uh, uh, you know stormtroopers, as the speaker said. But to, to you, uh, Richard, because you were once an elected official in, in the, the county of Cook, uh, you also were a longtime associate of Congressman Danny Davis, which is the west side of Chicago. So y- you know that there's a lot of crime that exists in that area and in areas of Chicago. When the average person on the street that lives in those areas, how do you think they react when they hear the president say, we're going to send some people in to try to clean up and, and reduce some of this violence? Well, 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 Bruce, first, let me say this. When white people join the movement and when they get out there and start protesting and putting their lives on the line, I think that's when America actually takes notice and says something has to happen. Heretofore, I mean, all you have was basically African-Americans out protesting and nobody really cared. Police brutality is not something that just happened with George Floyd. Right. It's happened long before that. And so, but but something struck a chord with him and how 
the officer knelt on his had his knee on his neck for so long. Mm -hmm. Now, with respect to violence and and the president, uh, I'm happy that the president sent in uh, federal assistance. What he sent in is 200 agents that will be part of the U.S. Attorney's Office, part of the FBI, Mm -hmm. part of the ATF to really go after guns and to go after drugs and gangs. And I'm excited about it. I've talked to a number of people uh, on the west side and south sides of Chicago. All they want is safe neighborhoods. They want the same thing people downtown, south loop, west loop. They want safe neighborhoods. Black children, uh, black men have been getting slaughtered for the last 20 years. Uh, In the last 10 years, Bruce, there have been more than 20,000 black people shot in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. That is criminal because nobody ever really stood up and said, hey, we got to stop this genocide that's taking place mm-hmm. on the west and south sides of Chicago. It is unheard of in America that you have 70 people shot almost every weekend in the summer in Chicago. That is unacceptable. And so I'm pleased. Uh, and a lot of people are pleased that the president uh, has sent these uh, extra resources in to solve some of these okay. crimes that haven't been solved. Jason, do you see it that way, or, or uh, are, are you comfortable with the fact that, uh, I mean, the president the other night uh, said that he could send, you know, fifty to 75,000 uh, troops, which, again, got everybody, uh, you know, uh, got everybody in their, sh- tied their everybody's I, shorts. But I, uh, I wrote an open letter to the president two years ago, which went viral, and I was on the media circuit talking about this, asking right. him actually to suspend posse comitatus and mm-hmm. to send troops in and to invoke the use of the National Guard because mm-hmm. we have these feral thugs that are taking the good citizens of the South Side of Chicago whom I teach in my classroom hostage. And so I think it's long time coming. I want to see boots on the ground. We know where these gang members are. It's not like Osama bin Laden or um, Saddam Hussein, like they're hiding under a mm-hmm. rock. We know where they are. They need to be rooted out. Um, they're feral creatures that are, that, are, that are holding the good citizens and obliterating communities in, in, on, on the South Side of Chicago. So I think to the short answer to the question, long time coming, and it's a welcome gesture. Last week when we had this discussion, uh, I received a Facebook comment from uh, a regular listener who described himself, at least that's how he described himself, and he said, uh, you know, you, you're missing the boat on some things, and I, I, uh, I live in those communities, and I, and I want to offer my two cents. So I reached out to him. His name is Willie Preston, and uh, I've reached out to him, and I understand he's on the line now. So, uh, Willie, we bring you into the conversation, and uh, bring us up to date just, just in response to my last question. Uh, do those who live on the south and west sides, do, do they appreciate the beef up a beefing up of federal authorities uh, to try to reduce crime in your neighborhoods? Well, first, uh, I'd like to say, um, obviously, there is no 100% anybody could, could poll um, the south and west side. But by and large, I have been um, completely shocked at folks who completely um, oppose the president and everything he does. But they have all been calling for the president to get involved because they are tired of seeing children getting shot. Uh, as, as a lot of us have learned to see, um, have recognized as of late, children are literally getting their faces shot off on the south and west side of Chicago. So I have saw people um, who fundamentally oppose everything the president does, waiting for him to come out and get involved and engage mm-hmm. in the ground because the local police department, um, as hard and tirelessly as they are working, 
um, and Trump could argue against that. But they have to the 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 You know, on that, on that political point, uh, Willie, and again, if you're a longtime listener, I think we can turn back the clock uh, uh, four or six years because what was happening yeah. uh, when Barack Obama was president for eight years and there was this huge, the epidemic of, of violence in Chicago happened, it, it began uh, way back then. And uh, I was always amazed that the president, that president, didn't use the bully pulpit as well as the the, uh, the executive order pen to send uh, more troops into Chicago to stop crime there. And again, there were a lot of people who were very much for the president that that, that didn't join me in that call. So I'm I'm frankly I'm fine I'm really glad that that it has happened. I don't know whether I would go as far as uh, uh, Professor Hill in suggesting that uh, you know we want troops on every corner. But uh, how would you feel about that? I mean, going the the step further as Professor Hill suggested. No, because the reason why I, I would be opposed to that, and I think many people on both the South and West Sides be opposed to that, is because that would put the majority of the citizens of Chicago in a police, in a height, in an even more police state, and subject those of us who are law-abiding mm-hmm. citizens to being treated like criminals. And, but more, even more importantly, that would not get at the root cause of this issue. Why I personally would support um, the president bringing in Federal, um, federal resources is because we have to track down the pipeline of these guns. We have to break up these networks of these small networks of young people inside of our communities that are engaged on a on a day by day basis in gun violence. And when we look at the homicide rate, clearance rate, um, with it being abysmal, uh, continuously low, what we are recognizing within our own communities in Inglewood, Auburn, Gresham, mm-hmm. is that we have allowed young people to shoot and get away with murder literally continuously. And that is what we need to stop. A, but, I, but, but, but let me, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you, but I'm also, I want to get reaction from our, our guests, and then I want to come back to you for a final word on it, Willie, because, you know, as, as someone who watches the news every single night in Chicago, and again, it all, it, for the most part, it leads with a story of some shooting on the south or west side or, or, or the, you know, the, the crime spree where or 15 people were shot outside the funeral home. Uh, the the question is rarely, if ever, does anybody see anything within the black community, and it's always been explained to me by police officers who I've known over the years is that black people are scared to death to step up and point a finger and see anything and tell the cops because they're they're worried that someone's going to come back, a gangbanger is going to come back and kill them. And in the last uh, five days, there's been a repeat of something that uh, people in Chicago have known about for a long time. There is an estimated 150,000 gang members in Chicago. Now, with with Mm -hmm. 150,000 people, if you buy that figure, Richard Boykin, uh, how on earth are you ever going to get the community to have the guts uh, to stand up and, and point fingers at someone because uh, the the finger that is being pointed uh, may be a, of a next door neighbor, and there'll be retaliation. How do you how do you break that cycle? Well, you break the cycle by making sure that you have law enforcement working with the community that the community trusts. Quite frankly, what happens is uh, many people in the community feel like law enforcement is part of the problem. They feel like some of them are like John Birds and others. Who are basically on, you know, on the take and stuff. And so, 
But I also would say this, Bruce, that by the way, for those listening around, for those listening around the country, John Burge was a longtime police commander in Chicago uh, who has since passed away. But uh, he was notorious for the brutal treatment of uh, of, of blacks and uh, for basically beating confessions out of them. But that's who he was, sure. who you referenced. Go ahead. He, he tortured him. But the other thing is this. If the president would deal uh, along with working with the mayor, the governor, the county board president, with the root causes of this violence, which is poverty, which is single parent homes, uh, everything begins in the home. So parents need to have the support that they need in order to be able to raise their their children. If we will deal with these things like housing, wealth inequality, all of these I things, wanna... and making sure that uh, we deal with the food deserts that we have. Right, let's uh, go to Jason. You're you're, you're coming. Uh, just, uh, let's let's make this conversational and 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 fewer lectures if we can. Let me go to you, uh, Professor Hill, and 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 talk about the litany of basic things that that create uh, an atmosphere uh, of potential crime. Uh, but uh, that's going to take decades or, or generations to fix. But uh, uh, we, we we really can't wait that long, can we? No, we can't wait that long. And look, and these 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 problems started in the 1960s with the massive welfare programs yeah. that disincentivized, yeah. okay, working fathers. And you don't disagree with it. You don't disagree with any of them, do you? No, I disagree no. with that. These no, problems. But no, no, I want to go back. I want to. I want to go back to the to professor, and then we're going to come back to you. But right now, we have to pause because you can hear the music playing. That means that uh, we've got to go. Millions of Americans use opioids to manage. <laughs> Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, and we're going to take a moment and let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves, and we begin with Richard Boykin. Go ahead, Richard. Well, thank you very much, Bruce, for having me. I spent uh, 13 years in Washington, D.C., working for three members of Congress. Uh, I spent 13 years at Barnes & Thornburg as a partner and uh, served on the Cook County Board for four years, and now opened up my own law consulting firm. Uh, it's been open all of maybe three months. Okay, and Jason Hill, let's have your background. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Um, I was born and raised in Jamaica and came to America at the age of 20. Um, I have a PhD in philosophy. I'm a professor of philosophy, author of 
about six books, and um, I'm also the host of a radio show in Chicago every Saturday morning, and um, I write a number of columns for about six different magazines, mm -hmm. and I uh, really take myself to be not just an academic, but a public intellectual um, who specializes in uh, political, American political Good. thought and ethics and uh, psychology. Where's your psychology. show? Tell us where your show is. It's uh, WCG, WCGO Chicago. Um, Okay. Uh, every Saturday in the morning in Evanston. Very good. I, we, we know it very well. That's where we do this program from. Uh, I want to go back uh, to uh, the, the, the final word. Willie uh, Preston uh, uh, was on the phone, and he lives on the south or west side of Chicago. And, Willie, I'm going to give you the final word on, uh, on, on what you hope uh, happens next and the reaction you think uh, your neighbors will have uh, with whatever that action is. I'd just like to say on the terms of retaliation, um, Bruce, that there's a, there was a woman recently killed a week later after she testified in open court. Yes. And so to the point that you made earlier, there is uh, a culture here uh, of, of folks not being able to speak up without having to volunteer their life. And that is, um, and that is also a, a, a reason why we should bring in the feds to disrupt um, those type of acts, perhaps some type of real coordination between the Cook County State's Attorney and the U.S. Office, perhaps relocation of people who step up and courageously speak up to end this violence. But I'd like to see happen. Would you, would you, would you agree with what Richard Boykin said, that uh, part of the concern also is that a lot of people just don't trust the police that they're going to be able to uh, uh, tell their story to? No, I, I actually don't. And the reason why is because while there is a mistrust of the, of the police, there's also a greater desire for people to have their children go outside the hot summer day like it is today in Chicago mm -hmm. and, and get wet. And I think that that'll be the, 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 the greater advantage if folks believe that they could actually um, get rid of a killer and not and, and not. Um, be, be killed. You came up with an idea, so stay on the line, because I do want to ask our other guests. I'm going to start with you, Jason Hill. Uh, Willie suggested that maybe some form of a witness protection program could be set up uh, in counties around the country where the problem of testifying against gangsters or, or gangbangers uh, would, would work. Do you think that's a viable thing to explore? Uh, look, I think we need to get rid of these gang members first. Look, we know where they are. I don't, we have a derelict mayor in this city. I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative independent who will not enforce the law. We need to get rid of these gang members. We know where they are. They're not hiding under a rock. So before we start talking about a witness protection program, we need to eliminate the gang members. Yes, they are. Don't, you have, to get don't you have to get evidence that they've, they've done something wrong, though? I mean, yes. Well, I don't see it's I don't see where the two are mutually exclusive, but we first need to enforce our efforts on locating them. Right. Placing strategically placing agents, which is why I'm for boots on the ground, because you need a lot of manpower to locate them. Richard, do you identify them? Do you see it as easily uh, as Jason has suggested? Jason's got to come out the ivory tower. Let me tell you the uh, look. I've been, I've been, I, I, I mentored people on the south side of Chicago. I, you don't know my background. I, I've been, I, I've mentored kids from the east side of St. Louis, Ku Klux Klan member, members on the on the cornfields of Southern Illinois. I'm not just an Ivory Tower right. academic. I've gone to the south side. I've led mentorship programs for black males. So you know, I, I'm not. Don't paint me as some sort of, you know, Ivory Tower figure who hasn't. <laughs> 
I've gone to Peru. I've gone to Mexico. I've volunteered. And he doesn't have a point. He doesn't have a point. Not just black people, people of color. So he doesn't have a point in that either. That that painting of me of just an an academic who doesn't know the real world. Go ahead, Richard. The point. Let me finish the point. Um, So Willie said that we need witness protection program. We already have it. There is a witness protection program. Quite frankly, it's not funded nearly where it needs to be, uh, where you can relocate witnesses and that sort of thing. So what I who knows about it, Richard? Who knows about it? I've lived in this city for fifty years. I don't know about it. It's it's part of the state's attorney's office. It's also part of the uh, U.S. attorney's office. They got funding for it, but they don't have enough funding. Well, well, Bruce, well, I well Willie, I, I would say the Willie, I, I would say if there's a message that 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 uh, everyone can maybe agree on uh, from this uh, conversation is, uh, Willie, you've come up with an idea that already exists, but I don't think most of your neighbors know about it. I hope you agree with me on that. Maybe you don't. Do, do you do you think most of your neighbors know that there's an existing witness protection program run under the under the state's attorney's office and the U.S. attorney's office in Illinois? Willie? Perception is reality, then we understand the reality is that that program doesn't exist for all intents and purposes. Because, no, to your question, no one knows it, it exists. The go. reality is, is if, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes, we can. So the reality is, um, um, Mr. Boykin, if that program indeed exists, and I have no reason to challenge you that it does, then we absolutely need to put forth a stronger and greater effort to to um, stand that program up even more by, by increased funding and putting out a public and investing in public service announcement because announcements to make sure that the general public understands that my neighbors um, talk amongst each other and I can tell you uh, to the professor the greatest uh, asset to the police department from their from their lips to my ears and from prosecutors across the country in major um, cities like Chicago is that they need community support, that they need folks to speak up. And if this, and if we could come up again with the federal government working um, in conjunction with the city and county, um, we could really turn um, a leap over on this gun violence because the community would be speaking up on these efforts. Because you know who knows the shooters in this community? My neighbors, the people who witness it every day, right. the people who are afraid to leave up out of their home um, and, and to ask them to go out and speak when we can cite several cases when folks have stepped up and been retaliated against, um, you know, that is a, that, that is a, that's a fool's mission. Willie, we listen, I want to, uh, we're going to move on at the moment, but, but I want to thank you very much you. for sending me uh, the, the, uh, the Facebook post uh, after the show last week, which is how you and I met. So uh, I'm all, I read all of my Facebook posts. You were kind enough to share a phone number so we could put you on the air because I do think that that you represent your your voice that that's been heard this evening I think is is replicated tens if not hundreds of thousands of times around the United States people that live in communities where violence is rampant uh, they want to do something about it they want to improve it uh, but they are they are stymied by by what but by, by what exists including the ability and the willingness of people to step up and say something and be protected and not not lose their life when they do it so it's a very complicated matter Absolutely. I just I disagree with the president when he said that uh, you know that that he could clean things in Chicago easily I don't believe that for a for a hoot. 
But again, Willie, thank you very much. And, and spread the word to your uh, friends and neighbors that uh, if they've got something to say, uh, they can say it every Sunday night on this program. And thank you very much for uh, tuning in to Beyond the Beltway. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Philip Beverly put me um, on your show years ago as I was a student of his at Chicago State, and I haven't stopped listening since. Terrific. Well, that's great. He's a frequent guest on this program, and uh, we say farewell to you, but we bring in Ron listening to us in the great state of Michigan. Go ahead. You're on the air, Ron. Thank you, Bruce. Bruce, uh, the uh, pastor, uh, Corey Brooks from Chicago, Lawndale neighborhood, he contends, when he was on WGN last week, that the uh, Black Lives Matter movement in Chicago was hijacked by anarchists. And I contend, Bruce, that agent provocateurs have been in this thing since Minnesota. They've been identified as black-clad uh, white men starting fires in Minnesota. And it's no, it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that uh, Roger Stone had admitted agent provocateur going back to the 60s. And his network, I believe, is in operation, it, it, stirring up the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, pr- the protests with violence and the destruction of the statues, and in particular in Chicago. Okay. And, I, and I got a, 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 a possible replacement for Columbus in uh, Little Italy in Chicago. Yep. Viola Luzzo, a civil rights worker from the 60s from Detroit, who was shotgunned right. to death by the Ku Klux Klan. Okay. All right, you, you've, you've gone to a number of directions, but I, I just want to clarify your point. Your position is that you believe that uh, agent proc- provocateurs of the government, of the government, are behind some of the violence that exists. Have I summarized your position? Absolutely correct, Bruce. Okay. Does anybody want to come? I want to again. It's this is out of a, a left field, a right field, but I do want to get uh, our guests to uh, respond to that. Uh, <clears throat> Professor, do you want to take a crack at whether that's a, a viable possibility or not? Not really, because I don't think statements of belief should be elevated to the level of knowledge. Okay, and I have, uh, I have, go ahead. No, and I have no 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 criteria, no no way of 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 parsing through or or adjudicating these 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 beliefs and right. subjecting them to meaning tests at all. It was some. It was something, however, that did exist back in uh, in 1968. Uh, I know. Not 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 at the convention, but but that. That charge was made then, and there was some veracity to it. Uh, quick question to you, Richard. Do you believe this or not, yes or no? Uh, I believe that it could be possible. Uh, you you allude to uh, FBI uh, Director Hoover, who, uh, you know, spied on uh, Martin pause. King Jr. Got a pause. Got- Back shortly from Chicago. Yeah. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. 
What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. Actually, in Evanston, Illinois, where WCGO is located. And uh, I want to go uh, to the professor. Professor, uh, we mentioned that the title of uh, your book is We Have Overcome an Immigrant's Letter to the American People. And uh, what is the basic point of uh, of your book? And what is it that you want the public to know about your personal experience? The book really sort of is a, a love letter to the American people, and it, it spells out exactly what's good about America. I mean, it was it was a direct response to Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, Between the World and Me, in which I thought um, America was being attacked as an intrinsically bigoted, racist country that was mm-hmm. bad, and, uh, and and intrinsically so. And I wanted to show that uh, that there's something very good about America. There's, this is a country on which many of us can pin or aspirational identities. It's a home to immigrants such as myself who came here with $120 in his pocket. And I tell the story about the immigrants who came here and who made something remarkable of their lives. And it explains the moral meaning of America, going back to the founding of America, although mm-hmm. it was birthed with a defect. And um, and what makes what do I mean by American exceptionalism? What do I mean by the exceptionist nature of the can-do spirit of the American people? So it's really a pay on him to American exceptionalism without, in some sense, you know, um, sugarcoating America's tyrannical past in many respects. The white supremacist ideology on which America was founded, there, there is no sugarcoating that. But in spite of all these things, we have progressed. We have made progress. We have become, uh, we're a country that is self-correcting, that is always trying to better itself. Mm-hmm. Going back to the third founding, which I identifies as the 1964 Civil Rights Act. 1965 voting. voting, I, want to go, I want to get to Richard an opportunity to respond to that. Do you, How much of that do you agree with or disagree with, Richard? Well, let me just say this, that uh, there still exists too many uh, inequities uh, among uh, those who were once slaves. Uh, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Abraham Lincoln, it freed the slaves There was a promise made of 40 acres and a mule. That promise was rescinded. Uh, And so blacks have constantly been in a race for equity. Uh, The poverty levels, when you look at every social indicator in the United States and you look at where African-Americans are, if it's the worst thing, we're at the the height of it. When you look at poverty, when you look at unemployment, when you look at uh, a, a lack of hope. And so... We're just saying we need to be equitable. We need to be equal. We need our fair share of the pot. I think education is the great equalizer. I think if you gave people an opportunity to go to school, and we ought to do that to better themselves, they will better America. Quite frankly, we're not there yet. We have not made it to the promised land. Should they, have a, cho- should they have a choice where they go to school? Uh, I, I think, look, I think there ought to be free college education uh, through the city colleges or through the state institutions and in a state. How about, how, about, how, about, how about grammar school? How, how about the ability of a black parent to send their kid to any school they want as opposed to sending them to a local government school, which may be failing them? No, I'm all for that. I think okay. we got to have schools that perform. I think everybody deserves an opportunity 
to live what we call the American dream. Quite frankly, it is not happening right now. It has not happened. And that's why you see the hue and cry throughout American streets right now. And especially from this generation is basically saying, look, we want our fair share of the pop. Professor? Well, uh, there is a point that I wanted to address that was made earlier. That is, the correlation between crime and poverty is a very recent phenomenon that emerged in the 1960s. And um, the, the crime rate among blacks during, and I'm of course not advocating segregation, uh, during the Jim Crow era and preceding the Jim Crow era uh, was significantly very, very low. And uh, this idea that correlating crime with poverty, uh, I think, is a slap in the face of the majority of black people who uh, might live in poverty and never resort to crime. Uh, so that's the that's one point I wanted to make. Um, I think that there, I agree with Richard that, look, I should not be able to, as Condoleezza Rice has said, type your zip code in and tell what kind of education you're getting. We have a system of public funded education, and I think it's really, really unfair that it is uh, funded primarily by property taxes. So I think, you know, if we have money to bail out rich corporations and we have money to bail out, uh, give preferential treatment to rich, uh, privileged CEOs, we, we, we can do better with uh, our, our, our African-Americans and we can give them a better, better education. So I think Richard and I are on the same page uh, there, um, we 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 should really be quite ashamed that uh, our schools are failing. I mean, I can tell you a story that when my students on the south side of Chicago cannot come to school because there's asbestos in the building and the school is closed for eight months, I know that I live in Lincoln Park. If a high school, a public-funded high school in Lincoln Park, had asbestos in the building, the asbestos would be removed within two weeks. And the school would not be closed. This is just, this is disgraceful. And that this is happening in America um, and in the great city of Chicago, I think is very, very tragic. Richard, would you say historically, let's say over the last 50, 75 years, certainly maybe within our, and I need a quick answer to this. Have black Americans be well, have they been well served by their elected officials, regardless of what level that official operates on? Well, Bruce, let me first of all say it's unfair to say crime and crime doesn't have a correlation with poverty and look at the Jim Crow era. Quite frankly, right now, what we have is guns, drugs being put into these communities like you've never seen before. And we have genocide where people aren't even having opportunities for jobs. Manufacturing had left these neighborhoods. They don't have jobs. So what do you expect them to do? They're going to turn on each other. Yes, the elected officials have failed. The elected officials' number one responsibility, Bruce, is to protect the people they represent. We failed at that uh, mandate and that requirement. We have to pause on that particular point. That's also something the President of the United States has got to do as well. He's trying. I think I think Mayor Lightfoot is trying as well, but maybe she's got to try a little bit harder. Jason Hill uh, from DePaul University, thank you for joining us this evening. Richard Boykin, uh, now in private practice. Former Cook County Commissioner, thanks for joining us. In the next hour, we'll be joined by Rebecca Abraham and Doug Ibendahl. Don't go away. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. 
I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont continues on Beyond the Beltway for hour number two. Thank you very much wherever you're listening, from coast to coast and border to border around the world at beyondthebeltway.com, whether it's on Facebook or Sirius XM Satellite Radio or you name it. We're on a lot of platforms, and it's great to have you with us this evening. Uh, Rebecca Abraham is a Democrat. Uh, Doug Ibendahl is a Republican. You're going to find that they disagree on virtually everything, and they join us for hour number two. And I want to begin uh, with you, uh, Rebecca, and ask the question. Uh, there's big concern and debate at the moment as to whether or not America's school children should be going back to in-classroom in teaching uh, in the fall. Where do you come down on that debate? On a school board, um, and I am a nurse, and um, I make all of my decisions based on scientific data. Yeah. Um, and I firmly believe that we should go back to school for children and teachers who it is safe to go back for. 
um, with safety precautions. So masks, okay. hand washing, safety checks, more nurses, um, smaller classroom sizes, no more than 10 in a classroom. Okay. Um, so that's what I think. I Very would, good. I'm um, going to let you follow up in just a moment. But, I, you know, I said you guys are going to disagree on everything. But, Doug, I'm not so sure that you disagree with what uh, uh, Rebecca has said thus far. Am I correct? You are correct, Bruce. And by the way, thanks for having me back on, Bruce. Uh, missed you. I, you're, you're correct. I, I do agree with uh, Rebecca. Yeah, the, 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 the children need to go back to school. And um, like Rebecca said, you know, with the appropriate, um, you know, safety measures and washing and uh, and all that. I, I'm not sure about the, um, you know, exact class size. I'll let the people who are closest to the situation decide that. But, you know, following the science, this is not a, um, this COVID-19 is really not hitting uh, the children. So, right. yeah, and, and being at home all the time is actually very unhealthy for these right. kids. I want to yeah. ask our, I want to ask our, uh, our director, uh, uh, Andrew Marshall to find out whether there's any way that we can, uh, correct uh, your audio. Your audio sounds a little tinny. I don't mean to insult you, but again, we want to make that to make sure that uh, your audio is as uh, pleasant and easy to understand as was Abraham's, uh, Rebecca. And I want to go back to Rebecca and say, Rebecca, when you talk about the science, I mean, in this particular case, uh, it, it seems to me that you may be on the same side as the president here, and you're not very often on his side, no, because never. he has said, we're going to listen to the science. We want, you know, we want teachers involved. The only thing he would add is he wants, you know, local school districts or, or governors or mayors to make that choice. And uh, I assume you agree with that because everyone wants to make sure the kids are protected. And in this particular case... Science seems to be on your side and the president's side. So I do want to clarify that I believe him and I said these things for very different reasons. Um, But you came together. The bottom line, you got, you agreed. Yeah. And I, and you know, so did the American Academy of Pediatrics. um, And they did clarify that they want schools to reopen in places where it is safe to do so. I happen to live in one of those places um, numbers in my state, I live in Illinois, are spiking, not in my area. Um, right. Downstate, different story. If numbers started spiking in here, I would feel differently. No. But um, where this conversation gets really nuanced is there is a mortality um, related to mental health and abuse and malnutrition right. for children to stay home. That doesn't mean children are, are not 1% safe. Um, they're safer than adults, but right. where the concern is, studies but, from the Journal of American Medicine right. uh, talked about but what you happened don't in deny, China. You, you, don't, you don't deny, at least at this moment, you don't deny that the president would want to continue uh, classrooms in areas where the science turned against him and, and the numbers went up. I mean, uh, everyone wants to protect the kids. Uh, Doug, uh, do you agree, follow uh, on that point as well? Of course, the president is looking out. He has to look out for, for for all Americans, and he's been doing that. I think the the, the, the motives of the people that are questionable would be the uh, these these teachers unions that want as they want as much money as possible for doing uh, the, the least work work as possible. And if they you know they want to they want to stay home or they don't want to work, then fine, cut their you know then. We shouldn't be. They shouldn't get paid or not paid the same, and they should. Uh, our property taxes should be slashed. 
Rebecca, you mentioned you're on a school board. Uh, how has your school board dealt with uh, teachers and their uh, salary uh, demands, if any? Um, nothing is changing for us. And I fully support the teachers union. Um, and I understand, um, they are scared and demands of unions and working people in the past have not been heard. So I think there's a lot of hopelessness. Like I know certain school districts don't even have soap. And one of the arguments is how could we go back to school if we didn't even have soap last year? Um, and what I would like to see, um, from all unions in general, um, and I, I think they, do their best, they have to listen to their membership, is um, I feel like the general public has to fight for what we deserve. And we've deserved a lot more from education and public education for a long time. My concern with going back to school is not that mortality of kids staying home. And um, what I was saying is Gemma did a, a quoted how uh, mm -hmm. in Italy, it actually affected mortality of grandparents because then they were the ones watching the kids. So there's still a mortality on the other side um, I'm concerned about inequities and that equity gap of children who have special needs, low income kids, um, they already have a huge gap in education and now that's going to grow. Uh, we can't afford to, you know, I just, I don't want to, would you, would you, would you acknowledge that, uh, in that gap that you talked about, and, and again, it's a gap. I mean, everyone is going to have a gap. Again, uh, those who are disadvantaged will always have a greater gap than, than, let's say, the general school population because we don't know yet, and it will take several years to figure out uh, how, much, how much has been lost in American education because of what's happened for the last five months. Uh, I mean, people are, people are not being as educated as well as they should, there's certain things they're not learning because they're not they're not in school. And I'm 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 wondering, in your case, uh, Doug, uh, would you acknowledge that maybe thus far this experiment in online education has not been a uh, has not proven to be a uh, a great answer to our problem at the moment? Or are you a big proponent of online education? I, I, I do not have kids in school, and um, but from what I've read and what I've gathered. It does appear to be a failure, especially in the big cities. It appears that um, it, in, the, in, the, in the big school districts, especially, the percentage of, of students that are participating is, is, is alarmingly low. And, um, and, the, and the number that are, that are participating all the time and doing all the work that they should is, is, is very, very small. So, you know, the, the bottom line, look, Kids are kids are, are rioting every single night in Portland, almost two straight months now. So if they can, you know, but that's that apparently is all fine. So if if, if but if, that's that's if those that's are okay. those are college kids. Those are not. They're not. People are just rioting, <laughs> and I I actually don't want to call it a riot. It's an uprising. Okay. Um, that's gonna continue to happen. When we come back, when we come back, we're going to because we uh, all this agreement we've had in segment one appears to be uh, falling apart as we head to a commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk about what some of the older students are doing, not the elementary school. I don't think they're in Portland yet. Uh, we will be back with our guests. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. 
Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back uh, listening to Beyond the Beltway this evening, wherever you're listening from coast to coast. Nice to have you with us. Before the break, we had a difference of opinion as to what is happening in Portland, Oregon. So let me ask uh, Rebecca. You seem to think it was an uprising. My question to you is, uh, why uh, why is this still happening after 60 days, in your view? Uh, nothing's been really fixed. What happened to George Floyd, it's great that he got arrested, but... It shouldn't happen. Then it continues to happen. Um, there, we have a problem. So you believe? It, so you believe what's happening that the attempted destruction of the federal building is about a Black Lives Matter and it's about George Floyd? I haven't heard George Floyd's name mentioned in regards to anything in Portland for about three weeks now. So uh, tell me why you think this is about George Floyd. Uh, when uh, when a federal building is being attacked? I It stemmed from George Floyd and defund police movement, um, which I support, defund police, defund ICE. Um, I think that there has been an abuse of power in this country for too long. We have oligarchs running everything. Um, most of our electeds are millionaires, and the police pick and choose what laws and they choose to um, arrest people for, and they choose who they are going to arrest over which laws they choose to do arrest you, for. Do you believe that defacing federal buildings is against the law? I mean, yes, but laws aren't religion, and sometimes you have to, you know, property over people. Um, people are dying. People are suffering. All right, let's uh, let. Uh, I want to pick up on property over people. Go property ahead, Doug. We're going to let you pick up on this one. Go ahead. For, for, for heaven's sakes, these um, the, the, these these violent leftists are not just destroying people, but not just destroying property. They're also hurting people. I mean, they're they're um, with those two federal agents that may actually lose their their eyesight for. for for good forever because uh, some of these uh, misfits were shining lasers in their eyes. Talk to the Chicago police last Friday. I know you talked about that in the first hour of your show that were defending um, government property last Friday in Chicago. The, the Christopher Columbus statues been there since 1933. And it got uh, taken down. And, and, and uh, these people are throwing, you know, these leftists are, you know, AKA the democratic party base are throwing, you know, full cans of, of uh, you know, cans, bottles, fireworks. It's, it's, it's out of control. And, you know, I also say this is actually nothing new. Remember four years ago, Bruce, that um, 
the, the, these same leftist groups were engaged in the same kind of violence, which you and I were both there at the, um, yes. the infamous uh, Trump rally at UIC in March of right. 2016. Right. You, were, you were down in the VIP bunker, which I you know, was appropriate being the right. VIP. No, I, I, I agree. I, I agree. But I want, I want to go back to Rebecca because, Rebecca, you seem to be condoning this activity, and I want you to either condone it or, or uh, explain why you don't condemn it. Well, I don't condemn it because people are literally dying from systemic violence every day. So you uh, don't, let me just correct, you don't condemn uh, uh, protesters or, or rioters, or we'll call them protesters, but they're a lot more than protesters, when they put nails in a, in a, in a baseball or a, on a bat and throw it at a police officer, or they throw urine or excrement in their face— that so they I scream and the, you don't condone, so, you, you don't condemn that activity? I am, and there's a difference between violence and violence of people and violence of things. And I want to clarify that I am a leftist. I am a radical leftist. Um, yeah. I'm definitely a Marxist. And that's not us. Like we're getting infiltrated from far right groups that are co-opting. There's no, there's no, there's no evidence of that because the, the, the groups that are out there, the, 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 the people, by the way, who were at the Columbus statute uh, attacking Chicago police officers. And I believe that 49 of them were injured. They were not right of center people. They were leftists. They were they were tearing down a statue which they chose to try to tear down. I agree. You probably agree that it was a good idea to do it. But my point is, when they're when they're taking weapons and they're throwing frozen water bottles at a police officer, that's not peaceful protest. So I'm uh, asking I you, you're you're condoning it, you're not condemning it. The police are randomly beating protesters who are nonviolent. The police are shooting. At where have you where have you seen where have you seen evidence that a peaceful protester has been beaten by anybody? Give me their so name and the place. Here as a medic at these protests, um, and I've seen it in front of my eyes. People are doing nothing, and they're getting punched by police. They're Poor little beaten. babies doing nothing. You believe you? You think people nothing. believe that? No, absolutely nothing. Holding signs. Doug, that, go that, ahead. That is, that, that is so insulting to uh, America's police officers. There, there's absolutely no evidence that that is happening. If, if anything, the police in this country, especially in places like Chicago are showing extraordinary restraint. These people are saints, what they have to put up with from these, these violent leftists. Rebecca's really making this too easy. I mean, she wants to, you know, I, I cannot believe that, I, I mean, but, but she reflects the, this is the Democratic Party now. They, they embrace, they embrace the violent thugs. Rebecca, can I finish? I'll let you go on. They embrace the violent thugs. Uh, well, she, uh, and they, they lie and they and they, they, they poke their finger in the eye of, of Chicago's police force or America's police. Okay, now, uh, now let, let me stop. Let, let me ask. I want to go back to I want to go. I want to go back to Rebecca. She has identified herself as a Marxist, but you're also a Democrat, are you not? You're you're here now. You're here tonight. I mean, you were going to talk uh, about Joe Biden. But you were not originally a Joe Biden fan. Uh, no, but we have somebody who's an autocrat, an oligarch, fascist, 
so I have to vote for Joe Biden, and I recommend everyone does. I look forward to 2022 and 2024, where hopefully there's some reforms in the Democratic Party. What are the reforms um, that what are the left? reforms in the party that you hope that a president Biden would instigate? Um, I would like to see uh, national legislation to legalize marijuana. I would like to see Medicare for all. I would like to see free college tuition. Um, my list goes on. I would like to see um, essentially, I know this is gonna make you guys cry and that's okay um i would like to see more socialist programs i want to see every every american with how much money we have in this nation could live an upper class lifestyle um instead we're all fighting for crumbs well, and who will uh, who will pay for all of this the, we have the money the 50 billionaires jeff bezos like the military budget all of it we could cut that military budget we'll be fine uh, we could tax the billionaires. That'll be fine. Um, and we'll be much better off. All right, Deb, uh, Doug, that's uh, that's uh, a Joe Biden fan. Uh, tell her where she's wrong. About uh, taking money from the military. This this, this whole thing, the, this is, um, I, would, I would say this is a, the biggest political mistake. What, what Biden and what the Democrats are doing uh poking their finger in the eye of, of U.S. law enforcement, of, of law and order, is the biggest political mistake, biggest blunder since four years ago when Hillary Clinton defamed half of America as deplorables and irredeemables. It's, 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 uh, it's I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's, the, it's where the Democratic Party is now. Law, the idea that somehow law and order is out of fashion or that you know, voters don't want law and order, and they're supporting these these uh, these leftists that are uh, these these things that Rebecca is talking about. These are people's livelihoods. When you know, when the mob went through and and burned uh, businesses on the south side of Chicago, that's hurting black people mostly. That's exactly what happened. That's happening all over the country. Are you surprised at the largeness uh, of these uh, some of these protests, uh, Doug? That the, they 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 were not fly by night. They seem to be going on, and certainly they they're going on in Chicago, if not other cities as well. Are you surprised that? No, 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 no. What I was starting to say before, Bruce, was that if you recall, four years ago, it wasn't just the the Trump rally at UIC, right. the, the only one you actually had to shut that one down. But if you recall, four years ago. There, there were there were instigators uh, instigating violence at, at Trump rallies all over the country. People were being paid to do that. There was a right. big uh, that was exposed. There was, there was all you Google and you find the, the stories about right. that. People, people were being paid. People were being paid to go to Trump rallies and to instigate violence. What's happened now? Most people would have, a sane person would have said, you know what, I think that's a really bad strategy and it didn't work. All right, I want to be, be the before, left is done. I want here. to go they back. I want, I want to go I want, down, Doug, Doug, I want to, I want to go back to Rebecca to, to, to follow up on that again. And I want to focus on 2020. Let's not spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror. But, but Rebecca, go back yeah. to your, 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 uh, your, your, your defending your vote for Joe Biden in hopes that four years from now the party will be dramatically changed is there is there someone as a running mate that you think is best likely uh to give you what you want in the long run um hmm i like i like stacy abrams i like barbara lee yeah I like elizabeth warren 
those are all fine choices. So um, any one of them would be good want, for you. I want somebody who is from the working class. I want somebody who stands for the working class, somebody who's rooted in working class politics. Um, and I, I think so. A Val the- Demings would not be someone you would support. I would. I mean, I'm just. There's a difference between support and excited. I, you know, I, we got to do what we got to do. Uh, as a nurse, I have a president that's actively trying to kill me and my profession. Um, so I'd like a president that gives us PPE. Um, and okay. I want to come back. I want to come back with that, Doug. Also, when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, have you on as well. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us tonight from coast to coast and border to border. Don't forget that this program, in addition to being on America's great radio stations, is also, uh, you can watch it on Facebook Live every Sunday night. You can also find us on YouTube, and also you can find us on Vimeo, and you can find us on beyondthebeltway.com. And if you live in the city of Chicago, you can sit back and watch us on Real Live TV uh, every uh, Monday uh, and also throughout the week on Comcast. And also, uh, we are carried in Houston, Texas. So there's lots of places to see us. But again, beyondthebeltway.com, if you're ever lost and want to find us somewhere on the radio dial, if you're traveling across the country, uh, beyondthebeltway.com, you can find us there. Uh, let's now take a moment and let each of our guests introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about their background. And we begin with Rebecca Abraham. Rebecca? Hi. Um, I am a registered nurse, and I own my own uh, consulting business, Acute uh, on Chronic. Um, I am a cannabis consultant and a patient advocate. I'm a Democratic delegate from 16 and 2020, um, and I'm getting a certificate in global women. Okay. And when you go to the convention, will you vote for Joe Biden or uh, were you for someone else in the primary? I will vote for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, <laughs> um, okay. But he um, pulled out. So in the general, I'll vote for Joe Biden. Okay. And Doug uh, Ibendahl, who's uh, hopefully our, our uh, audio will improve now because you're going to join us uh, on the telephone uh, as we watch you on uh, uh, your video feed as well. But go ahead, Doug, give us a little background on who you are and how you got here tonight. Sure. I'm uh, I'm Doug Ivendahl. I'm a Chicago attorney. I'm a former general counsel of the Illinois Republican Party. Um, before law school, I, I got an MBA at the University of Chicago and was a bank examiner for the Federal Reserve. Uh, but I guess the thing I'm most proud of, I'm a um, 
Southern Illinois farm boy. I grew up on a family farm in uh, in Southern Illinois in uh, far downstate Washington County, which I guess um, cancel culture will want to uh, force a name change on that. But um, it was a good place to grow up. And also we should mention for a long time, listeners and viewers of this program, uh, way back in 2016, early in 2016, uh, Doug Ibendahl appeared on this program, I think, for the very first time, and he was a very outspoken supporter of Donald Trump from the very beginning. He never wavered. He thought Donald Trump could win, and so he is uh, one of those who is a true blue, uh, dyed-in-the-wool uh, Trump supporter. And uh, let me just ask, uh, Doug, without uh, uh, giving away any secret that you might have, uh, at this moment in time, uh, are you worried at all about where the public polls suggest that the president is, or do you think there's uh, uh, plenty of time left for him to close the gap? Yeah, I guess I'm about as worried as I was in 2016 when okay. all the polls said he was absolutely positively going to lose, and then he went on to a 30-state uh, landslide win. But no, no, but, no um, I don't want to be flippant about it. Um, I, I think every candidate should always. It's, I, I think in any campaign, every camp, every every candidate should run like they're ten points behind. No, my my advice to any Trump supporter: No, do not. This thing is not in the back. Anything can happen. There's a lot of brainwashing going on. A lot of our schools are bad. A lot of people are not seeing through all the disinformation uh, out there. That's another big change from from 2016. As much as the the press was in. The, the tank for Hillary Clinton, it's 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 even more now. Would and you, so a lot of people have been brainwashed. Would you acknowledge... You know, Trump, Doug, Trump has done it yeah. before. Okay. Would you acknowledge that the president last week showed a different side uh, when he, uh, you know, in, wore a mask, told people to wear a mask, uh, admitted that things may get worse than better? I mean, he, he had three good press uh, appearances in a row, would you acknowledge that that might indicate a a slight change in tone that could help him close the gap, Doug? Did you hear that, Doug? I guess not, uh, Rebecca. Let me ask you that question. The president last week, at least according to a lot of media people, and he, uh, that he showed a different uh, a tone last Sorry week. Sorry, I get. Um, Go ahead, my back. Go ahead, Doug. Doug uh, let me do this. We had a little. We had a little technical snafu. Okay, yeah. Go, Doug. You start, and then we're going to go to Rebecca. Uh, the same question about the change in attitude that the president displayed last week. Doug. Well, Rebecca, are you there? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I. I mean, he's way late to try to mitigate any risk now. I think he only threw on the mask because one, they work. Um, you know, we didn't have the research when COVID hit the U.S. that cough masks in the community worked. Now we do. And they do. And um, it shouldn't have never got this far. We should have had testing and treating. He's just pretty backpedal now that his, um, now that the red states are running out of ICU beds and don't have enough staff. Um yeah, you, he has to backpedal when your voters are literally dying from. But but also as a nurse, as a nurse looking looking at the whole you know the last five to seven months, 
would you acknowledge that at the beginning, nobody knew what was going on? And you would say that a lot of people still don't know what's going on. They don't know whether, you know, the percentage of this, the percentage of that, you wear a mask, you don't wear a mask. I mean, would you acknowledge that, uh, that, that there wasn't anyone really in the medical field that absolutely positively knew uh, what was the right thing to do, including those that were working at CDC? The CDC um, did not act correctly. They right. they threw they harmed nurses um, by saying we could wear cloth masks in the hospital. That's not safe. Um, but that was defunded, um, and our pandemic team was dissolved. That was that was a Republican decision. That was a Trump decision. Um, we had information coming from science that our government, or I'm sorry, we had information coming from China that our government didn't give doctors and scientists. And that was very intentional. Um, once we had COVID cases, we could have shut everything down. We could have acted like South Korea. Again, we have the money. We could have used that military budget to swab people, test people, give out PPE everywhere. And we chose not to. Is it a new disease process that we don't understand? Yes. Um, we're learning new things every day and science changes. Uh, but he seemed very willfully ignorant up until like five days ago. But again, uh, uh, the, the, the decision to shut down, uh, you know, flights from uh, from China and from uh, Europe, uh, that, that, that appeared to be a pretty good idea that some people in CDC didn't think was a good idea. Does he not get does he not get credit for anything he did? Anything? Uh, he 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 should have had when we were rising in March April, we should have followed the steps of countries that handled this, like South Korea, and we didn't. Oh. Um they held back PPE. He um could have had every factory making protective equipment. Well, he did. I mean, ultimately he did, but again, I I don't, you know, you you you've made your point. Uh, and obviously, we're not going to change your opinion here, but I want to go to Doug and let Doug respond to some of that, and then uh, uh, we'll move on to another topic. Go ahead, Doug. Hopefully, you're uh, you know uh, with us uh, on the phone at the moment. Yeah, hopefully, I'm. I, I was I was dropped off there for yeah. for a bit, but I believe I heard uh, Rebecca pushing uh, uh, China talking points, which is a little alarming. But the, the, the fact is, Donald Donald Trump has done an amazing job on this. He's done. Um, Every, everything he possibly could and more. We're actually, we're actually not only is he helping governors and mayors, but we're actually helping other countries now. If it, it, to the extent that anyone was slow, it was the governors and mayors. And you know, one wonders what their incentive is to try to keep things, try to keep people in fear and this this uh, sense of chaos, which you know, which I think Rebecca is 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 trying to do. But the, but the fact is. Donald Trump, from the very beginning, this idea that things changed five years, five days ago, no, totally disagree with that. D Donald Trump said months ago, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But he is, he personally is constantly tested, and the people that he's around are constantly tested. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very controlled environment. So the, the reason for him to wear a mask is, is, is not the same. But it, it's also not true that, that, that the first time he wore a mask was at that hospital. He actually wore one uh, publicly back in in May when he visited. No, but the but the, factory, but but the, so. but the perception the perception is reality in politics, and the perception was he wasn't interested in it. The, the according to recent polls, uh, both uh, uh, you know both Republicans and Democrats like the idea, or they support the idea of wearing a mask. 
So, I mean, to do, to wear a mask now is really following a, a traditional, you know, Republican, uh, uh, you know, dogma at the well, moment. Well, actually, well, if you recall, maybe you mentioned, Bruce, but early on, our, our, our Surgeon General and actually Fauci also, I believe. Right. You know, Fauci, poo-poo, Fauci poo-pooed the idea of a mask. Yeah, right. Well, no, actually, does more harm than good because you're always tucking your right. face to lose so, a mask. So did the Surgeon General. That we had at the time, we only had three studies that supported a cloth mask. Scientific data changes, and sometimes those changes right. make us look wrong in the beginning, and then you correct yourself later. But he, Fauci, corrected himself, and no Republican leader followed him on that. Really, Pence went to the hospital without a mask on, like high-fiving people. It was so irresponsible. But again, you, uh, again, you're, 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 you're everyone. No matter where you uh, are on the political spectrum, you can you can cherry pick uh, whatever you want to make your point. But again, in this particular case, which was the question I asked, is the president, I do believe, is behind at the moment in the polls. And I do believe that what he has to do is he has to send a message uh, to some moderate Republicans or moderates and certainly to some independents that his mind is changing. It's evolving. There were three television appearances last week where there was a different tone. The president had a different tone. The media has already acknowledged that. Uh, we'll see whether the polls uh, uh, you know, show that. And again, the other thing that he announced is, uh, and again, following, I think, the, uh, the, the, the drumbeat that was led by the media, is that he decided to basically postpone and really tap down a Republican convention in Jacksonville, Florida. When we come back, I want to talk about the political impact, if any, of that with our guests. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, Pam uh, Winston is listening to the uh, Whitson is listening, and uh, she has a question for you, Rebecca. She wants to know whether you believe Antifa is a good organization. It's not even a real organization. It's not. There's no such organization. And like I fully admit it, I'm very left. I'm a Marxist feminist, and there's no organization. Uh, who are those who are showing up? dressed in similar garb and showing up at some rallies around the country, again, wearing uh, dressed in a certain way, uh, carrying umbrellas and acting uh, with some degree of, uh, of uh, self-defense tactics. Is that, uh, did that just happen coincidentally? I mean, at least in Chicago, at the protest I went to, there were some agitators who were not organized. They, I would call them anarchists maybe, or just people who like making trouble. Some were from the alt-right um, that wanted to get 
Boss Herc. Um, it, yeah, I, it doesn't exist. How do you know they were from the alt-right? Uh, some of the way they were dressed, some were undercover police. The shoes, their t-shirts. So you're suggesting that there were undercover police. At which rally are you referring to? I'm talking about the ones from early June. So you're saying that undercover police were there instigating violence against you? Is no, that your charge? I said there were some undercover police who weren't stopping that these agitators who were from the alt-right or random agitators from engaging in violence. Yeah, I'm just um, trying to figure out how you think. Wow. I'm just figuring out how you feel. How you know they're from the alt right? If if you I mean, been, if you I've deny if you deny that Antifa is a group, uh, uh, which I I assume that you're you're sort of acknowledging that they don't exist. How do you say that those that you saw are from the alt right, not alt left? Say an Antifa group exists. What does Antifa stand for? Anti-fascist. What is wrong with being anti-fascist? Isn't that what we all should be? Because Fascism. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Come on. You know, they yell like the, you know, just Doug. like the North Koreans call themselves. It's Doug's turn. It's Doug's turn. It's Doug's turn, Rebecca. Doug's turn. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, they did this idea that all oh, the anti fascists, Antifa is anti fascists because that's in their name. Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, the North, North Korea having, you know, the Democratic Republic in their name. What a joke. We're. we're I think Rebecca is is just she's channeling like the craziest of the crazy from Twitter. We're we're into we're into George Orwell territory now, where people who who proudly stand up and say that they are part of Antifa, they have they have social media accounts with the Antifa you know symbol and 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 say that they are in Antifa and organize these 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 violent. Um, demonstrations as Antifa. Oh, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. I mean, it's. I, I don't even. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, we're we're beyond. This is why. Yes, I'm worried about Donald Trump in in November. I mean, any, you know, anything can happen in politics. But at the end of the day, and when 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 people start focusing, they are going to see that Donald Trump is the only thing standing between America. And this kind of crazy. All right. Okay, so Doug, I want to say you said I, I'm getting my my crazy from Twitter. First of all, that's misogynist. Yeah, Second are. of all, I have a degree in science. I'm a professional. I'm a business owner. I'm an elected official, and I'm working on a master's degree. So I get my information from when you ran books. when you ran for office. Did you identify yourself as a Marxist? I identified as a socialist and I said Marxist okay. things okay. like I've been people have tried to attack me for being a Marxist before my community well, and I'm many just, community I'm just members asking said whether there was yeah, uh, everyone whether knows Rebecca's a socialist. Voters. Okay. She ran as such. Um, and what what's so crazy about Marxism and socialist ideas? I want people to live well. You know, if we end capitalism, we will end racism. I want everyone to have a living wage. I want people to have health care. I want people to have education. I want people to survive and thrive. I want them to be able to eat food. How, why is that radical? Why is that crazy? Rebecca, have you actually read? Well, I was just going to ask Rebecca. Have you actually read Marx's, Karl Marx's uh, 
you know, major poem, Das Capital. That's actually a trick question because actually nobody has read it through. It is it is unreadable. It is a it is uh, a it is a ridiculous screed. It's full. The guy was like a time. huge anti semite. I all of how, how there there's a whole collective of Jewish socialists. How how. What? No. And yes, I read it. He was an anti-Semite. He was an anti-Semite. Major. You've obviously, you obviously have not even studied for all these things about your background or whatever. You've obviously never even read the major tome written by the person you worship. Just because I'm a woman and a mom doesn't mean I haven't read. I've absolutely read. I've studied. Have you read Das Capital? It's great. Like what you're saying is just like insulting and just bonkers. It's really a yes or no question. What's the question? Yes or no question. Have you read Dot Capital? I said yes, I have. I don't believe you. (laughs) Okay. Have you? Have you read Dust Capital? Have you read the Manifesto? Have you read Ingalls? Have you read Sylvia Federici? It's it's, it's unreadable. Unreadable. Okay, so you haven't read it. So I, you know... No one has. No one has. is is good for working people. Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, I have to say farewell to Rebecca Abraham, who joins us this evening, and also Doug Ibendahl. Thanks for joining us as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. We want to thank Andrew Marshall for his assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, good night from Evanston, Illinois.